Welcome, everybody. Let's talk real estate. Your weekly BS with Barry Saywitz about the current commercial real estate market here in Southern California. As we take a no BS look at both sides of the issues driving this market today to find the best solutions going forward. With our man right in the middle, Barry Saywitz. Hey, Barry. Hey, good morning, Paul, and good morning to all of our viewers and our listeners out there. If it's Tuesday, we're talking real estate, and it is Tuesday, so we're going to talk some more real estate. I am Barry Saywitz, president of the Saywitz Company and managing partner of Saywitz Properties. And if it's one thing that I've learned in my 30-plus years of doing this, it's to try and surround yourself with good people, get good information, and make good business decisions. And so we're going to try and give you some good talking points and some good dinner talk information today. And I'm, I'm excited about our guest. I want to welcome Joe Stapleton, uh, founder and president of Spin Expense and city councilman for the city of Newport Beach. And I might add former tenant of Say What's Property. That's right. Yeah. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah. So thanks for coming in. Before we get going, I do want to do a shout out since it's March. And anybody out there who is a basketball fan, good luck to all the men and the women out there that are playing in all the games coming up. I'm looking for some exciting stuff and go Bruins. Bear down. Go Arizona. That's it. A good Both. game the other that night. That was a good game <laughs> with a better ending for me yeah. than you. But, well, we're uh, one and one now. We got the tournament. So we'll uh, that's see. it. The tiebreakers yeah, exactly. coming. Exactly. So let's uh, let's get to it. I, I appreciate you coming on, and um, I, I want to, I guess, start by talking about um, your personal life in terms of the business aspects of what's going on. So you, uh, after you graduated out of Saywitz Properties and grew up yes. and um, moved down the street, you founded and started a investment financial planning firm. I guess talk to me about that in terms of how you got involved with that. Of course, I mean it does feel like a full circle coming out of. Barry Saywitz University and graduating from one of your properties and, uh, to where we are today. Um, I, I fell in love with the investment markets in college. I went to the University of Arizona, double majored in finance and entrepreneurship. I had an internship at Merrill Lynch and was always interested in finding a way to create financial independence for myself while doing it for my clients. And this business lines up perfectly for that for me. I'm able to spend a lot of time in the community, build meaningful relationships, surround myself with smarter people, and all at the same time getting clients out of it so giving back involved in the community and nonprofits. and i was reading on the website so i mean i like the idea of personal cfo i, yeah. I need personal cfo ceo yep. uh, you know if i get two or three more myself maybe i could get to the golf course it's but all about cloning yourself that's it um <laughs> so but in terms of of how you is it really full service financial planning in terms of of helping somebody with not only their investments but managing their money and and what their overall game plan is absolutely yeah we started the firm in 2016 I was at a competing firm prior to that with my two other partners. We broke off on May 6, 2016 and launched Spinnaker Investment Group with the whole idea of improving the overall client experience. We really believe that asset allocation is a commodity. Most firms are pretty good at that. But where we really find a difference is taking the emotions and the behavioral out of the finance and keeping costs low. And at the end of the day, our clients make money. So if we can find a way to outsource and become that outsource CFO for our clients, we launched a tax practice two years ago as well. So it's comprehensive wealth planning. We have a lot of small business owners, a lot of guys in real estate that really come to us and I'm really good at what I do. We have a lot of attorneys, a lot of physicians that can focus a lot of the energy day to day on their business. And they come to us to kind of outsource and figure out how do I get to that, what we'll call financial independence. The moment you work because you enjoy it, not because you have to. Yeah, and the doctors are always good ones oh. because they're good at what they do and maybe not so much. Yeah, uh, they love to invest in offshore oil oil drilling projects and right, things that they don't know stuff. anything about. I'm like, why don't you focus on the healthcare side and you can make some money. <laughs> so in today's world, I mean, so you launch in 2016, things are good for a while, and then it goes yeah. into COVID. And so mm -hmm. for yourself as a small business owner, 
I'm going to guess you had to deal with a lot of the challenges that any small business dealt with during COVID, not only with staffing or people coming in the office or just trying to get through the day in terms of managing what's going on with the world, uh, with all kinds of issues. How was that not only for, as an employer, but then I guess also just managing the expectations of your clients too, because they got to be in a little bit of panic mode. For sure. And I think, like you said, you surround yourself with really smart people. And I have a mentor in my life. His name's Al Hensling. He started and owns United American Mortgage Company. I remember I'm at the Pacific Club. I've been on the board for a number of years, and I'm shaving with him in the locker room one day, and I'm talking about the mortgage meltdown in 2007, 2008, and 09. And I said, well, how did you survive? And I never forget. He looked me in the eyes and said, I chose not to participate. <laughs> and I'm like, how do you choose not to participate when the biggest mortgage meltdown? So for me, uh, March 16th, uh, God, almost, what, three years ago now, I remember when uh, uh, Newsom locked down uh, California, I decided not to participate. So what I did is I went to the office the next day, and, and we were smart about it. We had our ind individual offices, but my two other partners, we showed up with some of our staff. They had their own offices, um, and we spent the next year really focused on maintaining you know, our, our client book and make sure our clients are in the same spot. It's a tough business to work remotely, especially then. And you talk about the markets collapsing 40% in a matter of like a couple months. Right. So people were in full panic mode. Um, markets were dropping 2,000 points a day. So it was all about being that voice of reason for our clients and finding an entry point. I mean, March 23rd, 2020, you know, finding the market really starting to, May 23rd, I think it was the bottom. It was, we found it almost perfectly just by chance where we started pushing a lot of clients in when the market was down, you know, close to 40%. So Yeah, then, you know, fast forward to where you are today. I mean, you yeah. go from my business is shut down, the beach is shut down, oh. you know, I, I, there's no one on the roads. Unbelievable. And then now you have this run up up until a few months ago when they start jacking the interest rates up to try and slow it down. But the economy's chugging along, right? Stock market's chugging along until uh, I'll call it the middle of last year. And now you've got a new sort of dynamic mm -hmm. where people are talking recession, uh, you have interest rates much higher, and you still have the stock market pretty volatile and struggling along. Yeah, and so much of this comes down to the emotional part, the behavioral part of finance. And we find that people get in their own ways. I mean, you go back to 2020, whether it was crypto or day trading or the meme stocks. I mean, everyone was the smartest person in the room until they weren't. Right. It really came down to understanding the fundamentals. I mean, you look into a recession time like we're, we're heading into now, and I think the market priced it in last year, obviously, with the 36% dip on the NASDAQ and close to 20 on different markets. I mean, you fourth quarter was strong, but if you try to time these things, you, you got to know when to get out, and the harder part's when to get back in. And there's always opportunities. We saw last year, we've got some private real estate investment trusts where we got some REITs that we can get into that didn't make a tremendous amount of sense a decade ago, but the cost structures are so attractive now where you can work with companies like Blackstone and others where you can get to some of these REIT products where you're getting like last year a 7% return on your money when the market's off 20 or 30% in some areas. So right. it's all about finding opportunities. I mean, forever, you're talking about 0% interest rate. I mean, you've got nowhere to go with your cash. Well, now we're getting T-bills. We're getting treasuries at 45 right. I mean, that's that's great. So you got an opportunity to put cash somewhere now where you didn't before. So you got to find opportunities and and, and we, we feel like we're pretty good at that. And I feel like the investment side of things in, in many ways is a lot like the real estate business on our end. Oh, for sure. Uh, on the brokerage where you're managing expectations mm -hmm. and then you're managing what you hear and what you read 
and and whether that's true or whether that's just self-fulfilling prophecy. I mean, I think I'm a therapist most days. Yeah. You know, it's just yeah. keeping people from making the wrong decision. It's funny because I'm a fireman most days. <laughs> yeah. Put out fires. So a between the two good, of us, right. Well, good pension, right? That's yeah. it. That's it. We're, we're, forget the, the sophisticated stuff. Just Oh, dummy man. it down so true so you're doing the investment stuff and then it, you, you've had a long history with the city of newport mm-hmm. beach because you've lived here for a while and then uh, you have a family and and still live down by the beach mm-hmm. um what made you want to get into the political side of things and, and how did that start out yeah it's interesting i mean so blessed i mean when we we built and spent we built spinnaker up to over a half a billion in assets under management just in five years almost six years now so to think that we've gone from zero to over $500 million is a testament to what we do in our, you know, really helping our clients and, and building that brand and reputation. And it didn't happen by mistake. And I think the same thing happens for a city like Newport Beach. When you go back in time and you kind of think about the Mount Rushmore, whether it's Denny O'Neill's, the Marion Bergesons, Judge Gardner, all these people that came before me, Newport Beach is a special place because of the leaders that we've had. And the decisions that have been made a long time ago, whether it's creating the harbor in Newport Beach, whether it's uh, maintaining quality of life, public safety, strong, strong fiscal conservative nature. I mean, that's what I truly was, a, a, you know, loved about the city. I, I tell the story often, um, but I was in the Boston Marathon in 2013. So I was four minutes from the finish line when the bombs went off. Hmm. And I remember sitting there on a bench after the after that happened, and I saw this bus go by, and it had all these doctors and everything on there to go help the, the those that were wounded. And I use it as an opportunity in my life to truly transition from ambition to contribution. And I look at guys like you, I look at others in the city of Newport Beach, and what makes Newport Beach such a unique place to live is we've got so many people that have ambition, so many people have been really successful, but they're contributing and giving back to the community. And and Newport Beach really has grown up over the last 20 years. Uh, I mean, it was always a destination. It was always a getaway. It was always a tourist spot. But but really now, and and especially uh, because you have such a a heavy demographic area in Southern California, Mm -hmm. people want to come from L.A. or San Diego or Arizona or Las Vegas. It's an easy trip. You you now really have Newport Beach as a destination place, Mm -hmm. and it is world-renowned, and it is, I'm just going to call it, it's not a cheap place. And the barrier to entry... Uh, whether you're buying a home or an investment property, any kind of piece of real estate, it's uh, it's not cheap. No. And so what the city does, and, and it's really driven to me by the city council and the people that are, are calling the shots, is uh, to protect uh, what is Newport Beach and then to grow it and to make it better as, as we move forward um, so that people want to continue to come here. Because tourism really is a big part of it. Oh, I mean, you look at our budget. I mean, you talk about the ambition, the, the aspirational lifestyle. You have to have ambition to live in a city like Newport Beach, no question. But if you look at our three major revenue sources, and we get $140 million from property taxes. That wasn't long ago on city council where we had a $100 million budget in revenue on our property taxes. So you see when we annex Newport Coast and we got these other you know, properties that are being torn down and rebuilt and all the investment guys like you do and continue to do on the peninsula and the other parts of the community and your own homes and everything – we're seeing that where it's great because you got something like COVID hits and you look at a city like Costa Mesa and they have to close like South Coast Plaza. Yeah. That's their number one revenue generator. We were fortunate where we didn't have to dip into reserves more than one week and then we replenished it the next month because we had an ability where we're just really heavy, heavy focused on um, revenue generating from our property taxes. Number two would be sales taxes at almost $50 million. And we're fortunate we got Mercedes Benz and Fletcher Jones and other dealerships in Newport Beach. And like we talked about, the third one is uh, TOT. It's hotel tax. It's our short-term rentals. We're getting almost $4.5 million now from short-term rentals. Yeah. And and a lot of that happens in my district on the peninsula. And the total budget, the total revenue source right now for 
this hotel and this short-term rent, you're talking almost $25 million. Right, and, that, and it's a, a revenue big, stream for, for the sure. property owners, which then also increases the values, mm-hmm. which increase, it, it comes full circle. And right? you've seen that. You've seen that. You've been on the peninsula. I mean, I remember what, being one of your tenants back in 08. I mean, you've seen this profilation when you talk about uh, 4th of July. I mean, 4th of July used to be a war zone on the peninsula, yes. and it wasn't very family-friendly. And you'd we'd create this festival environment. We'd put out, you know, porter potties, and we'd, like, shut down all the streets. And, of course, people would show up and party. Now on the 4th of July, I mean, you can't even recognize it. It's remarkable. you got all these families around. you got – and there's there's a balance between both, right? When you talk about short-term rentals, you talk about creating a resident-serving um, neighborhood – you got to do both, right? Yeah. And I'm just, I'm just so happy representing one of the best parts. I think the west side of Newport is this gem, and there's so much investment going on on the west side that that hasn't happened before. And so, what does the city do? I mean, you obviously got all this additional revenue that's coming in from all of these sources. The city, I know, is well healed. Yep. But what are some of the projects that the city is doing in terms of beautification or where they're reinvesting the money after you pay for all the operating expenses like roads, like uh, landscaping, drought tolerance stuff, things like that? Yeah, and I think when you when you drive around Newport Beach, and hopefully you're proud to be a resident of the city of Newport like I am, there's no potholes. We just yeah. really we really focus on, on, you know, really preserving and well-maintained roads and streets. You know, like when you talk about well-maintained like manicures and like medians and everything – um, that becomes a big part of it. But you talk about fire stations. You talk about, to me, the most important thing that local government and any government is public safety. Yeah. Protect those that you serve. So I think when you come to a city like Newport Beach, you talk about police and fire and our lifeguards. Um, that's number one. So our biggest revenue, our biggest budget item is going to be our, our public safety. So we're we're constantly focused on making sure they got the right tools um, and resources they need. We've you know bought a few new fire trucks. We're looking at down um, on the peninsula the the you know the first the number one fire station in the city down in the village um that hasn't been remodeled since i think the 50s so we're talking about tearing that down putting a seven and a half to ten million dollar investment in that we just did the one the over, one which used to be the, yeah, McDonald's, the mcdonald's i used to yeah. go to every uh, what a real estate yeah. deal that was yeah i mean so. like, we paid 4.1 million i think for that building tore it down and built a 10 million dollar but it's all about moving things we got lido house we built we old city hall right and bob wilson comes in and builds this beautiful hotel we have this fire station, probably not the best place for a fire station next to a hotel. So we found a lot that we liked and we put it there. And, you know, it's a great investment in the west side. You got Marina Park. That was a $40 million investment on the west side. You got Sunset Ridge Park. Now we're talking about building a bridge to actually connect the new parking lot across from oh, Jack in the Box. So that, that's happening. We, I think we break ground on that hopefully in the next couple of weeks. Um, but finding a way to get people off the street onto the bridge so yeah. they can move from the parking lot to over there so we're investing a lot of time in our homeless um the issues in the city with that so we're doing a lot of public outreach and really spending a lot of time energy and resources getting people to help and that they need to get off the streets and that was one of my next questions was yeah. uh, homelessness is a big issue statewide really mm-hmm. and, and, and i mean i go to los angeles all the time and you know there are parts of town where you see people on every other street corner and you see encampments still and it's a real issue not so much in orange county in general and, and not so much in newport beach why do you think that that is? I mean, to me, if I, I and I don't make a joke of it and make it lightly, but I mean, it, if I was homeless, that'd be one of the places I'd want to go. It's a nice place. Yeah. And before I jump into homelessness, because that's going to be a whole other topic, I just want to finalize. Um, I think when you talk about the mayor's talking about this right now, Noah Blom, about reimagining Newport Beach. And for me, one of the projects I'm really excited about is McFadden Square. So when you talk about the pier area and really right. reimagining what that could look like, we we've, we've had some victories there with our homeless population. We had a lot of um, tents and, and, and people that were there quite a bit. We've done a good job getting a lot of those people the resources and connecting with family 
and getting them off the street. So that's something we can point to. We've got our big dredging project that's happening right now in the harbor yes, to maintain maintain the, the quality of the harbor and bring in um, big boats and visitor-friendly and, and, and residents as well. Balboa Island, we've got a $20 million investment going into the drainage system down there, so that's going to be really good so we're not forced to manually open up all these pump valves when the island when you get a big storm swells or big storms high tides so that's a big thing we got a newport beach trash wheel over by um fletcher jones that we're putting in that's almost a three and a half million dollar project the goal of that is to capture some of the trash coming down the san diego river and catching it before it gets in the back bay so that'll improve quality of the the water quality in the harbor so those are some things but when you talk about homelessness i ran on this platform I, i literally spent a lot of time talking about how they're City of Newport Beach is so such a welcoming community, and it's not about. Uh, we all have compassion for homeless people. There's no there's no compassion for leaving somebody on the streets. So yeah. we are spending. We've got 1.2 million a year that we're putting into a homeless shelter in um, in Costa Mesa, where we're housing right now 20 people in our city, and then we're looking at getting more. Um, you see the transportation center over at Fashion Island. There's become quite a few tents over there. So. And I think the one thing that residents would all agree on, and city council feels the same way, is we can't have signs of permanence. Yeah, we cannot have tent cities. We not we cannot become the Santa Monica or the Los Angeles of, of Newport Beach. Cannot head in that direction. So, you're right. It's it's a very attractive place to live based on the the residents are very friendly. Um, Will O'Neill, uh, former mayor, current mayor pro tem, who you've had on your show, he started the whole um, you know panhandling initiative. Like, don't give people money. Here's a website where you can go and give, and we can help support the right. you know the services. So. And we've had other folks on the show too. And I think part of the issue is you, you talk about helping the homeless population. You're not going to solve it in a day. It's a multifaceted sure. approach. Uh, but part of it is getting the people the resources that they need and help that they need to to want to not be homeless or on the street. Right. And, and we and, have that. I mean, we're spending almost a million and a half with Be Well. Uh, be well. I, I want to get our cops off this. Our police should not be social workers, right? Because they have better things to do, <laughs> like protect our city. Right. You saw what happened fight in Fashion crime. Island. So, yeah, fight crime. Not so. We we brought in Be Well, uh, Doctor Fable, who was the um, former CEO of Hope Hospital. He runs the board with Be Well, and it's all about coming in and providing what we'll call a mobile therapy van to make contact with the homeless, identify them, create a relationship and a name um, to that person, and humanize it. And yeah. get them the tools and resources. Because if you want to just be homeless, not the city for you. Right. If it's mental health, if it's addiction, and you want help, we've got all the resources and, and financial stuff to get you there. Um, so that's one thing that we've been really focusing on, Yeah, leaning into that. But you're right. This isn't going to be a – we're not going to solve this tomorrow, but there's a lot of really smart people in the room, and there's going to be – we need to find a regional solution. I think when you talk about any business, you got to figure out where the bottleneck is in the supply chain, whether it's real estate or investment markets or creating widgets. I think it's permanent housing solutions. We can provide all the temporary housing, but if they're in temporary housing for a year or two, that doesn't solve the problem. Yeah, we got to find a way to find permanent solutions for these people. So let's shift gears for a second. So mm-hmm. I, I want to talk about the election because you just were recently elected yeah. this past November, which is only a few months ago. Yeah. Talk to me about how that process worked. Was that the first election that you had actually gone through? Yeah, I ran against Diane in 2014, but I backed out of the election six months before the race. So I... I can't say, I would say yes, this is the first time I've really dipped my toes in the water and gone through with it when it comes to running for local office. It was an incredible experience. And, and at a, at a, I'll call it, I don't want to say a challenging time, but every time there's an election, there's challenges and there's issues. What did you find uh, was the biggest challenge that you had in terms of just trying to get your message out and get to meet 
people you know while it was going on he still got COVID a little bit but it, it's an issue of just trying to get your supporters in your district to you know hear what you have to say yeah you've had a lot of uh, former council members current council members on your show i think when you when you look at newport beach we have seven conservatives serving the city and five of us are under the age of 45 yeah I mean, it's an incredible movement. I started the Newport Beach Foundation, and the organization is all about activating the next generation in community service. Because when I was living one of your spots, when I was you know, 24 years old and I'm running around, there was nobody involved in the community under 40 years old. Yeah. It was just, it was just it was this generational gap. Um, and I wanted to be part of the legacy that helped convert that and get some of the next generation engaged. And we've done just that. We've graduated 225 people through my program, the Distinguished Citizen Program. 22 of those have been um, appointed to a board commissioner committee. We got two that were just appointed to the planning commission last week. So something I'm very, very passionate about. But to answer your question, it was money. Um, I ran against a, a gentleman, um, Tom Miller, who moved to town a few years before he decided to run um, from the Inland Empire. The The guy is a, uh, or he's the American dream. I mean, he came from nothing in Philly and moved out here and started a company and sold it for a ton of money. Uh, and decided he was going to run for office, and I welcomed that, and I was excited to have somebody who's passionate. Um, we agreed almost on everything, reducing homelessness, public safety, preserving open spaces, having well-maintained streets, well-manicured medians. We were on the same page with a lot of that, and I, I, I ran on a platform of keeping Newport Newport. I didn't want to change it. They wanted to maintain that quality of life. So uh, Tom ended up throwing $600,000 into the election um, to give your listeners, you know, to understand what that's like, Duffy Duffield held the record at $212,000 four so, years earlier. Right, so three times. So three times. That, it was a big deal. So I was fortunate. I've got a lot of, like you said, I've been involved in the community for about 15 years. I was able to go out and raise $380,000 um, from over 700 donors. So we were able to compete. We won by 30%. So I think the message was loud and clear. It was about those that have served the community and want to continue to serve in that capacity yeah and so congratulations yeah. and welcome and thank you for all you do for yeah. the city and and will continue to do yeah so i, I want to talk about the economy for mm -hmm. a second because uh you're well versed in those aspects of it with your business and following it so where do you see while no one has a crystal ball there is now talk of the fed raising interest rates some more you have uh, the markets moving accordingly based on that information where do you see things going? I'll just say in the window between now and the end of the year. Uh, yeah. People talk about recession. Some people say we're already there. Some people say you're going to look in the mirror tomorrow and wake up and you're in it. Yep. Uh, w what are you telling your clients and what are you hearing? Yeah, I mean, you look at this is a huge week in the markets this week and early next week. I mean, you talk about Powell, you know, the, the Fed chair is there right now in D.C. on a two-day summit basically saying, hey, if the market's going to get it, if, if inflation's going to continue to go, we're willing to keep jacking up interest rates and the markets are going to react negatively to that obviously but i think the biggest fear for us as a firm in the markets is inflation yeah if we cannot get a, a handle around inflation and obviously increasing rates is one way to do that so our biggest fear is that he starts punting the can which it doesn't sound like it's going to happen he's going to continue to push rates but you talk about interest rates at five percent you talk about a, a mortgage at seven percent i mean it, it's going to affect the real estate market and the real estate market's a huge huge revenue source for most of my clients in Orange County. Um, we've got a jobs report coming out. We're very interested to see what the February, from the February report to the March report, if that's, a, if that's a continuing theme, and the CPI report early next week. So that's something that we're continuing to focus on. If we can get a handle on inflation, we believe the market's priced in a recession last year. Markets are generally pretty good focusing six months out and seeing what's going to happen. So we believe the recession, 
yeah, whether we're in it or we're going to be in it, that's happening. And we're going to find good quality U.S. dividend-paying stocks that are going to hold up well during a recession. But I find relative to the real estate market, it's a perception people have short-term memory. And so somebody who has a 2.5% mortgage who was fortunate enough to lock it in you know, is dancing around and then somebody who didn't have the ability to do that for whatever reason is now kicking themselves and and every day watches it go up. And so, uh, and I I see that impacting uh, the volume of transactions, whether it's on the home side or whether it's on the commercial side, uh, the volume is slowed by the fact that rates continue to go up. Because Mm -hmm. if I believe that rates are going to continue to go up, either one of two things happen, either one, I get off the fence and I go buy something and lock it in. The other is, gee, I think I missed my window. I'll wait till it starts to come back mm-hmm. down. And then you wonder when the heck that is. Yeah, now you're trying to time things. And at 7% or 5, 6, 7%, that's not, remember, world is 17 or 18%. So right. in this world of 0% interest rates, it's not going to happen again. Right. So And neither is the 2.5. No. But the issue is, if I'm at 7 and I thought it was going to go down to 6, there are people out there that wait. And then that's just like the same person who watched the market run up. For sure. Who said, hey, the house that I wanted for X is now X plus. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll wait and let it come back. And then it never did. Well, can you see the correlation between the stock market and the real right. estate? It's one of the same. I mean, people, oh, it's going to get down. It could. But if you believe in capitalism, it's going to continue to go up over a long period of time. So it's about finding the right entry points. But I think for a lot of our clients, there's opportunity to sit in cash and wait for the market. But if we can buy some good blue chip dividend paying companies, we're going to go do that. Things that you wake up and use on a daily basis. Those are companies that we're focused on. But for the first time in a long time, alternative assets make a lot of sense. And we're focusing on a lot of these alt spaces and doing some, whether it's private real estate, private equity, some hedge fund-like portfolios. There's opportunities in this marketplace. There's some private credit that we've been looking at as a firm and buying now. So there's a lot of things that we weren't doing five to 10 years ago, but now we're looking to find performance in this market and also become a good way to do that. And the guys who are buying real estate and flipping it, that seems to be over yeah, for the moment. Well, I mean, it just dried up. And maybe for the better. I mean, we talk about, I won't call it dumb money, but when you got a lot of investors in the stock market, who are taking gambles and day trading because there's no sports during COVID, it ruins the market. Right. And now we've seemed to find a, a sense of normalcy again. Well, no difference in the person who bought their home and then their home is worth, call it two times what they paid. Sure. And then they're, they're now a real estate expert telling of you what course. to do. Right? Yeah, so. <laughs> you feel my pain. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. what do you think? Uh, we've just got a couple of minutes left, yeah. but uh, what do you think will be the biggest factors? I mean, I think you've sort of touched on it. Is it inflation? Is it supply chain issues? Is it uh, unemployment? Um, are, are they all hand in hand? And what's the driver really to watch going forward? Inflation. It's inflation. Without doubt, yeah. That's, I mean, jobs report, that'll be, you know, it, we're calling this kind of a rich session. <laughs> a lot of my really wealthy clients are now starting to, to hold their wallet back and they're not making big investments right now. So they're kind of waiting to see what's going to happen in the market. But you look at consumer debt. The good news on the real estate side is most people have equity in their home, unlike 08. Right. So right. that's the good news. But, yeah, we're, we're solely focused on watching inflation and see how that could disrupt this market. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. And Absolutely. so in terms of the city, uh, is there one particular project that's coming up that's exciting? Uh, you, you rattle off a bunch of them, and they all uh, are all the various different aspects. But is there a redevelopment or a development project in the city that you're aware of that would be something to, I think, to watch? I think something personal to you and me both, you as a resident of Newport Beach and you as an investor on the peninsula. If you look at District 1, which is the peninsula, Newport Shores, and Lido, 
There's more investment happening now in the next 10 years on the peninsula than ever before. Investment in the west side to maintain quality of life. You talk about the entrance from Huntington Beach, like figure out how we can continue to beautify. Keep it West Newport, obviously, the surf culture that it is. Right. Um, but my buddy bought the Pine Knot Motel, and we're looking at inve- he's looking to invest in that and redo that. And that's been uh, an eyesore on the west side for a long time. So if we can get good investors, we've got Bob Olson with Lido House. We've got Marina Park. I'm really passionate about you know, the peer-to-peer. you got Balboa Village. The Pyle family has bought the fun zone. Right. They're going to redo that. That is going to be a tremendous investment in that area and give residents and visitors a reason to go there. But for me, the destination, McFadden Square, and reimagining what that whole area could look like, I'm just so excited to give residents up and down the peninsula and throughout the entire city a reason to come back to the peninsula, to come to the pier, enjoy some restaurants. I mean, what Mario is doing down there, Mario Morovic with Dory Deli and all the investment on that side, I mean, it's just... It's remarkable to see we've got so many investors like you who live in the city, work in the city, love the city, and continue to reinvest in these legacy projects. The fun zone is going to make no sense on paper right. for a very long time, but the Pyle family loving the city to come in here and invest a, a lot of money. And you got you got Duda doing the same thing, uh, Fritz Duda, with um, the Lido Theater. Right. So he's putting millions of dollars into that, and we're looking forward to opening that up hopefully in fourth quarter this year. And then hopefully that spurs people to continue to invest in their own individual in their properties. properties. Because, yes. you know, as an investor for me, I would buy something, and then I'd always want mine to be the nicest on the street in hopes that other people would do the same thing, not because I just wanted the nicest place. I just want to raise the value. And I can preach to that because I was one of your tenants, yeah, and so. you had the nicest house on the block. And I appreciate you taking care of the place <laughs> yeah, as well. <laughs> so. Yeah, better than the photos you showed me earlier. <laughs> yes, that is true. So I said it would go quick when we started, and it always does. We yeah. could uh, chit-chat all day, but I, I do appreciate your thoughts and, and your input, and uh, I wish you uh, much continued success for you and your family and your business and uh, for everything that you're doing for the city. Well, keep up Beach. the good fight, and as an elected official in Newport, thank you for your continued investment in our great city. Yeah. So once again, I'm Barry Saywitz, uh, president of the Saywitz Company. I want to thank uh, all the folks here at OC Talk Radio, our producer Sophia, Paul and his whole staff. Uh, If it's Tuesday, we're talking real estate. I appreciate you guys tuning in and we'll see you back here next week on Let's Talk Real Estate. you have it you've been listening to let's talk real estate your weekly bs with barry saywitz about the current state of the real commercial real estate market right here in southern california on orange county's only community radio station oc talk radio streaming live from our studio here at the university of california irvine's beale applied innovation center